The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our text this morning is in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let me pray. And Lord, we ask for your grace right now in this moment. We ask that by your grace, our church will be strengthened through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And you will again, Lord, do this miracle of opening our eyes to see more of Jesus together through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Rene Gonzalez, and I serve as one of the elders here uh, downtown, and I also serve as a, as a pastoral resident for worship and Hispanic ministry. It is my, my joy to, to lead you in worship uh, often, and, and now it is, it is my joy to, to come to the Word together. Um, so this is, this is the next message in our sermon series entitled, um, Strengthened by Grace. Last week, Pastor Kenny gave us a biblical description of God's glorious grace. In our passage this morning, we will learn about some of the implications of this grace in our lives. Therefore, my title for this morning is Strengthened by Grace to Renounce Sin and Live Godly Lives. In the previous verses in Titus chapter 2, Paul has just laid out some beautiful yet radical ways to live out the Christian faith. He has instructed Titus to exhort different groups of believers in the church in Crete to renounce sinful practices and to live godly lives in, in very specific ways. In the previous verses, he addressed men and women and young and old and even slaves. So our text this morning, starting in verse 11, is the ground for such a life. In other words, the reason why they and you and I can renounce sin and live godly life is one. And it's laid out in the first phrase of our text. And that reason is, for the grace of God has appeared. Amen? 
or because the grace of God has appeared. Now, what does it mean that the grace of God has appeared? Well, I think this phrase means that although God's grace has been operating for us even before creation, there was a moment in history when the grace of God was manifested in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He appeared. The grace of God came to this world. I say this because Paul uses the same word several times to refer to Jesus coming to save us. And you can see that, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 9, and I'll read it for you, said, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ, before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Also in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says again, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Also, he uses the same word again to refer to Jesus' second coming when he, calls our, when he calls this our blessed hope. In verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you see, Paul is using this word to say that it's Christ Jesus who came now, it's interesting that the Greek word used here is, trans, is transliterated in English as epiphany. It was commonly used in the Hellenistic world to speak of the appearance of gods who intervened in human history on behalf of humankind. In Acts 14, for example, the people of Lystra mistakenly identified Paul and Silas as Zeus and Barnabas. The incident reflects a common belief that occasionally the deities came to walk among mortals. This word, this word was also used to describe the appearance of human emperors who were often seen as the manifestation of the saving presence of the gods. But for Paul, the grace of God has appeared, not in the person of one of the deities of the Greco-Roman pantheon, not in the person of the emperor of Rome, but in the person of Jesus Christ, who brings salvation for all men. The Word becoming flesh, full of grace and truth. So in our text, I think Paul is saying that as Christians, we can renounce sin and we can live godly lives because God manifested His grace to us in the coming of Jesus Christ. He's saying, grace has appeared, grace has come, or in other words, Jesus has come, and He came to save us and to transform us. So I summarize the main point of the text in this way, 
the grace of God in Jesus Christ calls and enables Christians to renounce sin and to live godly lives. Let me say it again. The grace of God in Christ Jesus calls and enables Christians to renounce sin and to live godly lives. And my prayer, my prayer for you and for me today is that this glorious reality will be fresh good news for us and that this truth would impact the way you live your life today and every day. So the two points of my sermon this morning are because of grace has appeared, first, we're strengthened by grace to renounce sin. And second, we are strengthened by grace to live godly lives. Now, just before we get to that, let me make some observations about verse 11. It's almost, it's almost like cheating, like putting a third point, but not saying that. Let's go to verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The text says that this appearing of God's grace brings salvation to all people. So, is this saying that in His grace, God will save everyone? Who is these all people here? I think if we continue reading, it is clear whom he is referring to. So let's read again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12. Training whom? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control upright in godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are sealed for good works. So you can see that the people that he's referring to in this text is us. Those who by grace are living for God, those who wait on this blessed hope, and those who are people of His own possession. So I think this phrase does not mean that all people in the world will be saved, but it's more like all, all kinds of people in the context. You can see that in the verses before Paul spoke to men and women and young and old and even slaves. So the grace of God in Christ has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And those are great news. God Himself came to save us. Amen? Now the question is, save us from what? And save us how? In Bethlehem, I know you know this, but... Let me remind you this. God created everything, and He created us for His glory. That means that we are created to love and worship God with all of our hearts. But instead of that, each of us in our, in our sin have rejected God 
we have disobeyed His laws and have worshipped other gods. Because God is holy and just, each human being is guilty before God and therefore deserving of His wrath and eternal punishment. No one can escape from God and no amount of good deeds can make up for the offense of our rebellion. But God, in His great mercy and love, knowing that we are unable to save ourselves, He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us by taking on Himself the punishment that we deserved. God sent His Son to die on a cross for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. He gave us a new heart to come to Him in repentance and faith. Our sins are forgiven, our guilt is removed, and we are united with Christ forever. His righteousness is ours. And now we have the promise of eternal life to enjoy His glory forever. This is all by grace. We don't deserve it. It's a gift of God. And, and I know many of us, most of us, have experienced this great salvation by grace. But if you are here, if you are watching online this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, friend, these good news are for you. Come today. Don't wait. Come today and repent and put your faith in Jesus. He will forgive you and He will give you a new life. Now, for the rest of us who have experienced this great salvation, this next part is for us. Paul is now addressing those who have been saved, declaring that the same grace that saved us is training us or teaching us or calling us to renounce sin. God's grace is not only a saving grace, it's a transforming grace. It's a sanctifying grace, and we see this in this text in the next phrase. Verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Thus, my first point is strengthened by grace to renounce sin. There's an implication in that phrase that those who have received this salvation still struggle with undwelling sin. But we are called to fight that remaining sin in our hearts. In this text, Paul uses three words to illustrate the kind of things we need to renounce. He says ungodliness, or is the opposite of godliness, a lack of reverence for God. Also, he says, renounce worldly passions, a great desire for something, desire, a longing, a craving, desires that are according to the worldly standards and result in immoral behavior that is against the will of God. 
And later he uses the word lawlessness, referring to a disposition of the heart to sin. So in short, I think Paul is exhorting believers to renounce, to say no, to repudiate any practice of sin in their lives. Renouncing sin in our lives is the opposite of embracing sin and indulging in sin and make peace with sin. My guess is that for you, this renouncing of sin is not only a theological concept, but a daily reality. It's a daily reality. In his Desiring God article titled, You Can Say No to Sin, Scott Hubbard puts it like this. He says, Temptation comes knocking on the door of our flesh like an old lover. We open the door a crack, and there she is, lost, bitterness, a cutting word. Any of our former darlings, her appeal sounds so reasonable. Don't I make you happy? She asks, don't you deserve to have me just one more time? I promise I won't come back again. So when this happens in your life, maybe even this morning or last night, then what do you do? Our text is saying, renounce, say no, shut the door and run away. Now, this is not the only thing our text says about our battle against sin. Verse 11 says that grace has appeared, bringing salvation for us. And now he's asking us to say no to sin. But then, in verse 13 and 14, he says this. In the middle of verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And see what verse 13 says. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So you see what's, what's going on in here? You and I, we're called to do the renouncing only because our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, did the redeeming for us. In other words, your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, deliver you from lawlessness. You can say no to sin because in Christ, you are not a slave of sin anymore. Christ died to make you and make me free. So listen what Paul has to say a few verses later regarding our condition before Christ. In chapter 3, verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led straight, as slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the, God, the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us. So Bethlehem, take heart. 
The salvation that we have received not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but also from the enslaving power of sin. Because grace has appeared, because Jesus redeemed you, you can now renounce sin. I say this for all of us. But probably there's someone right now, right here, that is struggling. And you feel slaved by sin. My prayer is that you would see again this morning that the grace of God has appeared. And that you are free. Then second, the grace of God has appeared not only to enable us to renounce sin, but also so that we can so that we might live godly lives. And that brings us to point two. Because grace has appeared, we are strengthened by grace to live godly lives. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Again, Three three expressions here used by Paul, self-control, upright, godly lives to to describe holiness, to describe a life lived for God. So self-control expresses the self-restraint we need to practice towards the good and legitimate things of life, as well as the outright denial of things clearly sinful. Upright or righteous conduct refers to just and right actions towards other people doing them that we will have doing to them what we would have them do to us and the third one godliness is having a regard for God's glory and God's will in every aspect of our lives doing everything out of reverence and love for him so i think these terms describe three things first true personal holiness second a life lived in righteousness towards others and third a life of worship to God. The grace that saved us and trained us to renounce sin also calls us to a new life, a life lived for God, in which we are conformed to the image of Christ more and more. And let me ask a question here. What kind of life do you want to live the time that you have left? What kind of church do we want to be? I ask this because by worldly standards, living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life might not sound that exciting. For some, a life like this might sound even boring or oppressing when you think about all the things you need to say no to. But the Bible portrays this life as a blessed life, as a, bla- as a life full of purpose, as a glorious life. For a Christian, there is no better life to be lived in this present age than a life devoted to God. It's the greatest life for some reasons. First, because 
we get more of God. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Second, also we fulfill one of the main reasons why God created us. Ephesians 2. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And third, we bring glory to His name when we live a life like this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Peter 2. Now, as glorious as this life is, that does not mean that living like this is easy. The text says that we are called to live godly lives in the present age. An age of suffering, an age dominated by evil, an age ruled by the devil, an age in which we will find opposition, an age in which distraction is just a click away, an age of confusion where people call good what is evil and they call evil what is good. And we all feel this. We all live in this age. We feel it in our homes, in the, in, on the internet. We feel it in the office, in the media, in our neighborhoods. But the good news again is that grace has appeared. And in our text here, we can see why you and I are not only called to live this life, but are capable of living godly lives. The end of verse 13 says, Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave Himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and who gave Himself for us, second, to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So you are not godly primarily because you live a holy life, but you can live a godly life because Jesus made you holy. He purified you. This is the same word used when Jesus would come and touch a leper and make him clean. Christ gave himself for you to make you clean. To give you a new nature that has new desires and new capabilities to obey and to love him. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. So Bethlehem, take heart. The grace of God, Christ Himself, has appeared to enable you to live a life of godliness for the glory of God. Now there's, a, there's an important phrase that I, was, I want us to consider. And this is in verse 13. Let me read it again, starting from verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you, did you notice that, is, that there's two appearances in this text? The first one in verse 11. And as we saw, that one refers to the first coming of our Lord Jesus. But then in verse 13, there's a future appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And in between these two, what are we supposed to do according to this text? says, we wait. In this life, we wait for our blessed hope. In our waiting, in our renouncing to sin, in our living a godly life for God's glory, we say no to sin, we repent, we confess, we resist, we pray, we wait, and in our waiting, we live godly lives. We obey, we submit, we give, we serve, we go, we worship. But soon, but soon, when Jesus comes back, our need for grace will end. And it will be replaced with the encounter with glory. Then our war with sin will end and our pursuit of holiness will be completed. And that, brothers and sisters, is our hope. Amen? The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ makes all the difference. Let me close in prayer this morning. Our God, because your grace has appeared in the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, because you delivered us from the power of sin and because you gave us a new nature we can renounce sin and live godly lives that glorify your name Lord we pray that you would increase our joy in you that our lives will bless those around us. Please, Lord, help us to be strengthened by your grace, waiting on our blessed hope when you will appear again and we'll make all things new. And Lord, thank you that until that day, as those who have been redeemed, we remember. 
to thank you that we can celebrate, participate from the Lord's table together this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.